speaker. Hey, hey, hey. Wow, wow. Good morning, good morning. It is going to be a good morning. I hope you brought your shouting shoes. There's some extreme good news, like OMG level good news this morning. So you guys ready? Well, just uh, I, I encourage you guys, come out tonight. You know, Scott Willis, his nickname is Hurricane Willis for a reason, okay? And so if you've never experienced the hurricane, and uh, his wife is Gail, and Sean named her Gale Force Winds, which I thought was amazing. And um, just, Scott's just amazing, but he's all about flowing in the Holy Spirit, impartation gifts, and so it's going to be, uh, you probably won't need your notebooks, let's just put it that way. It's just, it's going to be a different kind of night. It's a lot of fun. And then next week with Scott Simon, you know, Scott's a neuroscientist. He is, uh, there's been several organizations that have tried to hire him to be kind of their lead apologist, you know, apologetics, the field of defending the faith on, cam- on college campuses. And uh, I mean, like Ravi Zacharias, Josh McDowell, those type of people. So he's really high level, but he's also spirit-filled. He's got the right heart. And so if you bring a friend, they're not going to get shut down and made to feel stupid for having a question. And it'll be a great environment for them to have questions. And actually, Scott really is about making sure people are magnetically drawn to the love of Jesus by the way you present the answers. How many of you guys know you can win a debate and lose the debate? (laughs) You know, so... It's, it's, so this is not a debate environment, but it'll be opportunity for people to ask questions as well, too. So not just the ones that he's prepared. So, all right, you guys ready? So um, I want to tell you, I got some good news for you. The old man is dead. I'm not sure what that means to you, but uh, give me about 35, 40 minutes, and I think you'll have a whole other level at it. So uh, there's a principle. There's, this is an illustration I like to use. I just, I just don't have one better. There's an ancient principle in the Old Testament where one person could stand for the whole. And so, uh, you know, the, it, was, it was like a covenant representative. We see it in the story of David in uh, 1 Samuel 17. Remember when uh, Goliath is out there and he's sending out the challenge of the people? Give me a man. Remember that thing? 1 Samuel 17. That was my Goliath voice, by the way. 1 Samuel 17, 8. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. So here's Goliath. He's nine feet tall. He's got weapons in proportion to his size. We know that uh, from, the, uh, from archaeology... They, uh, they had this highly polished brass armor. So you would see he would go out at sunrise and sunset. So you can imagine he was just larger than life, just when, you know, with this highly po- polished brass armor. It'd just be reflecting on him. He just looked intimidating. They wore these giant Indian headdresses, so he looked even taller. And he's going out there, and he's basically saying that, say, why should we have all this mass bloodshed? Just, I will represent all of Philistia, and you give me a man who will represent all of Israel. If, uh, if we defeat Israel, you will become servants of us, not just the men, but the entire nation. But if you are able to meet, defeat me, all the Philistines, Philistia, we will become your servants, not just the warriors, but all of the nation. One person's going to stand for the whole. And you guys know the story. Goliath is doing this every morning and every evening for six weeks. No one wants to come out there. And you guys remember Saul's trying to like sweeten the pot. And he's like, hey, anyone who uh, is able to defeat the giant doesn't have to pay taxes. And people are like, yeah, dead men don't pay taxes. That's not that great of a benefit. And um, apparently his daughter was a babe because he, uh, he's like, hey, anyone who uh, defeats the giant gets to marry my daughter. And they're like, she's not that good looking. And so no one's taking the giant up on the challenge. And so uh, uh, David's father, Jesse, uh, several of his sons are fighting in the battle. And so he sends his son David to check on him. Remember, they didn't have CNN. They didn't have, you know, 
extremely uh, efficient means of communication. So he sends his father, uh, his father sends David to his brothers, which seems kind of prophetic to me. And uh, David, as he's getting there, he hears this challenge. And Goliath comes down, and he thinks it's happening for the first time. He's like, what, what's going on here? Why, why isn't anyone taking this guy up on the offer? So David says, I will stand, and I will go before him. And so you guys have to realize this. When David says, I will go and fight this giant, he's no longer just representing individual David. He's representing all of Israel. I want you to see this. All of Israel is in David, even the people who aren't born yet. For whatever happens to David will happen to not only to the, the people living, but all the descendants. So he goes out there, and um, Goliath, he's issued this challenge. And, um, and you get this picture here. David, he's, he sees this intimidating giant, but he makes this statement here in, uh, in 1 Samuel. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. Where is he putting his trust? I mean, this is just awesome. I, I just love this. But I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. I like this guy. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. These are some bold words. This doesn't have anything to do anything, but I like this story. There was, a, I can't remember the name of the wrestler. Um, he was only lost one match in all of high school and all of college. I think he went on to coach Iowa or something like that. Dan something. And, uh, and so as he, would, uh, as he would eye up his opponent before the match, he would walk and say, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would defy the armies of the living God? And there's just something about that phrase. Why uncircumcised Philistine? Are we going to get into anatomy? Pull up that picture. Just kidding. When we say uncircumcised, he's saying he doesn't have a covenant. Who is this guy to be so bold in his strength? Because I'm not coming to him in my strength. I'm coming to him in the Lord's strength. So he gets bold. And so here's this giant. And so this giant is clad in this armor. And there's only one spot on the armor that has a weakness. It's right where the visor came down, this little spot right here. It's kind of like that small weakness in the Death Star where Luke Skywalker had to fire his laser cannon into the thermal exhaust port, led straight to the reactor beam. Of course, Luke had been training his whole life, bullseyeing womp rants on his home planet of Tatooine in his T-16. Can I get an amen? amen? All right. I thought I was at the right church here. So here's David. He's dancing around like a little mosquito. And, uh, and Goliath says, you know, what are you coming? What am I, a dog that you're coming at me with sticks? And he sees this pesky guy, and as David scoops down and he picks up the five smooth stones, all of Israel could feel those five smooth stones in their hands. Because it was no longer David just fighting for them, he was fighting as them. You guys are seeing this. It's as if they were in David, because whatever happened to David happened to them. So he picks it up, and as he begins to swing the, swing the slingshot around, they can hear the whizzing of the stones in their ears. And as he lets it go, it strikes the giant right in that uh, weak spot. The giant falls. David takes the giant's sword, hacks off his head, holds it up, and all of Israel yells, we won, even though they didn't lift a finger. Why? Because David was their covenant representative. He was not just acting for them. He was acting as them. As we come to Romans chapter 6, we just, we, uh, we just had all, uh, Romans chapter 5 is basically telling us Jesus is our covenant representative. <laughs> he went and defeated the force of Satan. He was de dead, buried, raised from the dead, seated in heaven, and he said he did not just do that for you, he did it as you. It was uh, one nail, but there was two hands, your hand and his hand. He did not, Jesus did not just die for you, he died as you. 
So we're going to get to this in just a second, but just I, wanted to, I want you to see that one can stand for all because that's going to set the tone for everything we say. There's a mystical reality that happens when we're born again where we are plunged into Christ irreversibly into everything that he's done for us. The moment you say, thank you, Jesus, you, the moment you believe that he is the one who has done it all for you, it's not based on your performance and basis. When you see Jesus clearly and you say, thank you, you are plunged irreversibly and instantaneously into all that he's done for you. You have to see that. It doesn't mean you've learned how to take hold of everything, but you need to see it's a past tense thing the moment you say, I do. So what happened to you when you were born again? Here's my fear is I feel like a lot of Christians are settling for a lesser version of the gospel. So here's some lesser versions of the gospel that people settled for. Some common answers are my sins have been covered up or forgiven. Now, that's, that's kind of a partial truth there, but it's kind of like, you know, I've gotten out of the red, but I haven't quite got into the black. You know, uh, I, you know, I got out of debt, but I'm still broke and haven't learned how to spend my inheritance. Remember those little bottles of whiteout? No one under uh, 25 knows what I'm talking about here. But I remember uh, like 20 years ago, uh, my kids discovered uh, these little bottles of whiteout that I had left over from seminary. And they were just so fast. I mean, those things were such a pain. But what they were, it was like this little white paint. And you would be typing um, you know, on a typewriter for those of you... Um, yeah, if you've been to the Smithsonian, you've seen those things. And so you actually have like a sheet of paper in there. These things are striking it with ink. And you would make a mistake, and you would have to, you know, roll the paper up, you know, paint the little thing wrong, <laughs> blow it, put it back down there. Oh, I put it in the wrong spot. You know, it was just it was like total pain. But here was the idea. is It's covering up your mistake, but it's still really there. That's a lot of what people see as, uh, as the gospel, is that God kind of took out his divine bottle of white out, he covered over the sin. He blotted it out. So when he looks at me, he pretends he doesn't see the sin, even though he knows it's there, but it's still kind of there, right? God's kind of like Santa Claus, pretending he didn't see your naughty behavior, and he's putting you on the nice list now. The idea is nothing's really different on the inside, but God kind of looks differently, looks differently at me because of Jesus, right? So you kind of get a do-over. That's view number one. Another view is the new birth is something that's been added to me. So the first answer is when salvation comes, something's been covered up, but nothing's really changed on the inside. I'm still kind of a sinner, saved by grace, but I'm still a sinner. But view number two says that uh, something's been added to me. The idea is I still got my grumpy, sinful nature, you know, I'm still struggling with all the same problems, but now there's been a holy invasion. The eagle has landed. So it's kind of like these two beasts inside of me. So I've got this old man beast, and if I feed the old man beast, then he kind of dominates over me. So if I'm doing lustful thoughts and greedy and all these things, then I'm just feeding, you know, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. If I'm feeding that, then the old man beast kind of, but, but there's been this little seed planted. And if I will tithe, and if I will pray, and if I will memorize scripture, and if I will go to church, the job description of the Pharisees, then, and then that will water this little seed, and maybe the Jesus beast will grow so that someday my spirit can rule over my soul. God didn't come, oh, welcome to do-it-yourself religion. Listen, God didn't come to improve people. He didn't come to fix anyone. He came to kill them and raise them to a new kind of life. Listen to Romans chapter 6, verse 1 from the Passion Translation. So what are we going to do then? Are we, do we persist in sin so that God's kindness and grace will increase? He just painted this outrageous picture that 
when you're not under law, you're under grace. When you sin, God's blessings still come upon you because you're, you're righteous. You've entered into a realm where God is not dealing with you based on your performance. He's dealing with you based on Jesus' performance. You've entered in this realm. It is, it is so bizarre. It's not saying that sin's a good idea. He'll deal with that later. Sin is stupid, in case you were wondering. It's like, why would you want to go back to the concentration camp when you're free? Like, that doesn't make any sense. But it doesn't change the way God feels about you. Think about the Old Testament. Why did they continue to get, remember, in the old, the, for them to get blessed, they had to keep all the commandments. If you will keep all these commandments, then these blessings will come upon you. Well, God kept blessing them even though they weren't keeping all the commandments. Why? Because he offered sacrifices for sin, and when God looked at those sacrifices, it reminded them that his son was coming. So I want you to see this. Even though they weren't perfect, these, these, uh, these offerings temporarily covered it so that God in his heart, that he, he always wanted to bless them, he was able to bless them because he knew that the sin would be fulfilled one day. So here they were, sinful, but God's still blessing them. But when you saw a king would turn his heart away, this is why idolatry was so, so brutal in the Old Testament. When the king would turn his heart away towards other idols, there was no more sacrifice for sins. And then God's judgment would come upon them, Right? And so what you need to see is Jesus offered the sacrifice for sins once for all. We don't have to keep doing it. So now God is out to bless you. He's not out to get you. You've entered into a realm where even when your behavior isn't perfect, there's a sin that's covering it. So God can continue to bless you. That's OMG level good news, guys. So he's saying, so if we just walk under this cloud of blessing, what do we do? Just keep on sinning? Do we persist in sin so that God's kindness and grace will will increase? Um, Listen to his answer. What a terrible thought. We have died to sin once for all as a dead man passes away from this life. So how could we live under sin's rule a moment longer? If you're a believer, say this with me. I am dead to sin. sin. You know what dead means? It means dead. I want you to notice this. It says you are dead to sin. It did not say you are dead to sins. This is going to be a huge revelation, okay? Pay attention with me on this one. This is going to be good. It's so important. Paul says that we are dead to sin. He was talking about our sin nature. He's talking about our ability to commit individual sins. 49 times the word sin is used in the book of Romans. 47 times it's a noun. You guys remember back in English class, a noun is a person, place, or... It's not a verb. You're not dead to the ability to commit sin. You're dead to your sin nature. Romans 6, verses 3 through 7. Or have you forgotten? Another translation says, don't you know? Okay, this is important. All this amazing stuff has happened in the invisible realm, but they're not holding the power of it because they don't know what happened. Or have you forgotten, don't you know, that all of us who were immersed into union with Jesus, the anointed one, were immersed into union with his death? That immersion is a picture of baptism. Remember, you were in him. And when he died, you died. You went into a watery grave at baptism with Jesus. He's giving you, he's pulling back the curtain on the spirit realm so that you can know what happened, so you can begin to live in the power of the new covenant and not just wander around with the beast or the the whiteout. Verse 4, sharing in his death by our baptism means that we were co-buried and entombed with him. I love that word co. So So that when the Father's glory raised Christ from the dead, we also raised with him. 
We have been co-resurrected with him so that we could be empowered to walk in the freshness of life. When he died, you died. When he was buried, you were buried. When he was resurrected, you were resurrected. You see this? You are in him. He did not just die for you. He died as you. This is about to get really good here. Verse 5, for since we are permanently grafted into him to experience a death like this, like his, then we are permanently grafted into him to experience a resurrection like his and the new life that it imparts. Verse 6, could it be any clearer that our former identity is now and forever deprived of its power? Now and forever deprived of its power. I think one translation says um, uh, that the power of sin in your life is now extinct. I know some of you are like, well, hold on, it doesn't feel like it. we're going to get to that. For we were, past tense, co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us so that we would not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. Obviously, a dead person is incapable of sinning. Listen, you no longer have a sinful nature, but here's the bad news. It appears to be a zombie apocalypse in the church. There's a bunch of old men who have been resurrected, apparently, that are walking around, and people keep saying, listen, I taught this back in 2011. There's a church in Columbus that wanted to, they, they hated this. They wanted to bring me in and debate. They had their small groups were doing studies on this sermon series of everything that was wrong with it. Not everyone wants to hear that the old man is dead, even though 18 times in the Romans 6, he says, dead, died, death. Like, like the old man is dead, bury him, burn him, scrape the ashes together, burn the ashes. Like he's dead, he's gone. He's no longer reality. But the problem is so many people in the church are practicing necromancy, constantly digging up what they used to be to see if it's still dead. Consorting the dead. Here's the deal, guys. In Romans 6, Paul paints a picture of what happened when we were born again. And he uses water baptism. Somebody's free in the house. Come on. Can I get a witness? Somebody's alive. Here's what happens. Paul says, I'm going to give you a picture of this so you can understand. He's going to give a physical illustration. And he's using water baptism. Listen to it from a couple of translations. Romans 6, 5. We have been united with him in a death like his. We have been planted together in the ground in the likeness of his death. We have become one with him by sharing in his death. I love the message paraphrase. This is so good. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life and a new land. How many of you guys know you can be a, if you're a citizen of America and all of a sudden you went over and you were a citizen of France, you have to learn some new ways of living, right? You may have some old habits. Just because you've come out of the old country of sin and you're in this new country of the kingdom doesn't mean you don't have some old ways of behaving. It doesn't mean that you have a sinful nature still. You don't have this propensity driving you towards sin, driving you towards selfishness. It just means you need to renew your mind and how of this new life that's now available to you. You went into the tomb with Christ. I want you to feel it. I want you to smell the dirt. I want you to get this revelation in you. I want you to realize how final it is because if you think you're a sinner saved by grace, you're going to sin by faith because you always act out of how you see yourself. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Stop that stupid thinking. You were a sinner and you've been saved by grace and now you're a saint. 
a saint with a, with a new citizenship and a whole new way of living. God, it's not just new rules that we're going to follow. It's a whole new way of being because you're part God and part man. You're a new race of being that's never existed before because God's never inhabited humans on a permanent basis. So it's not just these, oh, there's these new laws and this new thing. No, there's a new power that I get to live out of because I'm still in him. But Jim, uh, the Bible says, uh, Paul says, I die daily. Right? Okay, the context of that is persecution. Here's how the NIV translates it. I face death all day long. In other words, I'm in danger of dying every single day. The dangers were outside. It wasn't the beast on the inside. Well, the Bible says, take up your cross and die daily. The context of that is dying to your plans for life and picking up God's plans for life. It has nothing to do with the old man. The old sinner that you once were completely died to the same degree that Christ died. It wasn't, uh, what's it, what was that, uh, Princess Bride? He was mostly dead. No, no, no. He was completely dead. Death to self is not a lifelong process that is dependent on your own self-efforts. It was a complete and final act. And we're going to learn how to apply this in a second, but you, you have to know what happened. What died with you? You died with Christ. What died with you? Sin, shame, guilt, condemnation, anxiety, fear, bitterness, low self-esteem, lust, discouragement, embarrassment, heartbreak, inferiority, rejection, being offended. Basically the plot of every soap opera out there. Torment, victim mentality, feeling worthless, addictions. I remember, uh, I'm about to name drop. Can you guys brace yourself here for a second? I remember when Mary and I had dinner with Andrew Womack one time. He was asking me to mentor him. Just kidding. We, um, <laughs> we, uh, so he was speaking, and I just, I, know, I just asked for dinner, and he said he'd get with us. And so he's like, hey, meet me in the parking lot tomorrow at 4 o'clock. So we get there, and uh, we see Andrew's off in the side of the parking lot, and he's ministering to a guy who looks like he's homeless. And so he comes back over. We're like, hey, what was that about? And he's like, well, hey, I just led this guy to the Lord. He was a drug addict. And I said, well, what is going, what's going to be the key to him walking in this new life, you know, him staying free from drugs? You know, he prayed a prayer. He had some type of encounter. What is going to set him up for success? He said, it's real simple. He is going to have to see a picture of himself on the inside as a new person. That was his one-sentence answer. He said, if he can see that he is new on the inside, then he'll be able to walk in that newness of life. But if he just sees, oh, man, I'm just a drug addict, I'm just a sinner, I'm just a drug addict who's trying not to do drugs, a lot of people think that, you know, you, you get born again and, you know, you've got this boat and it's set on automatic and it's set towards sin. And when you get born again, now we've got to try really hard to turn the boat to go towards God. And if we let go for one second, it goes back towards sin. The heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's old covenant, gang. It's not the new covenant. You have a heart that's delighting after God. Oh, if you want to know what God's will is, just do the opposite of whatever you want. Yeah, if you're not saved. Now it says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he gives you the desires of your heart. Whatsoever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive. You know that verse that Kenneth, Kenneth Hagin wrote? He just preached on it all the time. He had great revelation on it. 
when you pray, God is literally shaping your desires so that you can believe for what he wants you to have. You've got a new heart, new covenant. Guys, you see how this isn't like extreme home makeover, where you still got this raggedy house, but you strip it down to the studs, and now you make it. No, no. This is a complete teardown and new construction. That old man that had that propensity that wanted to sin, that's been taken away. There needs to be a renewing of the mind unto what you already have. You need to see yourself on the inside. I am a new person. But I'm still feeling this. I didn't plan on sharing this, but one of the craziest villains in Spider-Man was Mysterio. How many of you guys remember Mysterio? It looked like he had a fishbowl on his head, which I always thought made him a lot less intimidating. You know, he's supposed to be this scary guy and everything. I'm like, he's got a fishbowl on his head. Like, and so when Mysterio was a master of illusions, and so he was an illusionist in a circus, and somehow his power got amped up. You know how those things happen in the Marvel Universe. And so... Um, but here, here's the thing. Spider-Man would always be in these terrible situations, and he's fighting these things until he would come to this point where he'd realize, hold on, this isn't real. This isn't really happening. It's, a, it's the Matrix moment when you swallow. I can't remember which pill you're supposed to swallow. But listen, guys, you may be feeling these things, but this is not your nature. This is simply a habit that you have from living in the old country. And if you will recognize, this isn't me. Okay, a lot of people think it goes like this. Temptation, sin. Temptation, sin. There's something in between it. Temptation, and here's where it leads right to sin. Temptation and um, depending on self. I've got this. So I'm tempted. That's how the, that's, that's operating in the old country. I'm trying to be good. Don't, do you remember? I mean, I don't know how you grew up. I grew up going down to the altar every single Sunday to rededicate myself and promise to try harder. That's called the old covenant. Temptation, oh no, I don't want to do this. I do want to do it, but I don't want to do it. And I'm trying not to. And I've got this. And in my own, listen guys, if you resist temptation in your own strength, you've already failed the test. The test is to say, I can't do this. And when uh, his grace is made perfect in our weakness. When I recognize I can't do this, but God can, I get a grace infusion and I resist the temptation. So get this picture. You are seeing yourself as different down to the cellular level. You've been co-crucified with Christ. He died, you died. You were co-buried and co-entombed with him, co-resurrected, co-seated at the right hand of the Father. You are now co-ruling, and you are in co-union with him, sharing his life with planet Earth. I love what Winnie Bano says. It's time to drink your cocoa. <laughs> co-crucified, co-buried, co-resurrected. If you look how she signs her books, it's Coco. She is such a, uh, it's a friend of ours. Her husband was just here on Wednesday. Such a revelation that she is like, I am Coco. Co-crucified, co-buried, co-resurrected, co-union. I got my journal here, and I want you to do this. This is not a magic trick. This is not a sleight of hand. You guys ready for this? I'm taking this, and one, two, three, I'm putting the pen inside the journal. I want you to notice the pen is in the journal. If I put it above my head, if I raise it, to a height, the pen goes with it. If I put it behind my back, the pen goes with it. If I were to bury this, the pen would be buried because it goes with the notebook. If I were to raise it to a newness of life, it goes with it. Everywhere it goes, the pen is in the notebook. The whole message of the New Testament is God has placed us in 
Christ. Whatever happened to him happens to us, and now whatever happens to us happens to the Christ in us. Start lacing up those shouting shoes, guys. It's about to get good here. Every Christian has participated in the death of their old man through Jesus, but we have not all participated in his resurrection life, which is a byproduct of being placed in his body because we first have to know this. There's three words in, the, in Romans 6 and how to, how to live in the new covenant. Know, consider, present. We're only going to look at know today. Next week we'll look at consider and present. But first of all, you have to know what happened here. The Bible doesn't say, and you will hear the truth and it will set you free. It says you will know the truth. You will know it by experience. You will know it at a level where the Holy Spirit breathes on it and you're like, I get it now. Romans 6.3, don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized in his death? Romans 6.6, 6, for we know that our old self was crucified with him. Romans 6.8, for we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised. Just as just, a, a, a condensing, the next part is going to talk about considering, but first you have to know it. It's an absolute fact. It's a past tense. If you're waiting to feel the new covenant, you're going to be waiting a long time, gang. You have to know this regardless of what you see, taste, hear, smell, or feel. Romans 6, verses 8 and 9. And if we were co-crucified with the anointed one, we know that we will also share the fullness of his life. So we weren't just buried with him. We get to walk in this newness of life. And we know that since the anointed one has been raised from the dead to die no more... His resurrection life has vanquished death, and its power over him is finished. Jesus didn't just pull you out of sin. He pulled sin out of you, and then he put you into Christ. And you are now the righteousness of God in Christ, which you are. It means you are completely blameless before him. I'm not, I'm not going to preach on this, but in Romans 4, David looks forward to the day, and he says, Oh, how blessed is the man who, God, uh, who has his sins forgiven. We understand that part, but this second part, I don't believe we've got a revelation of. And, um, and, his sin, and, his, uh, and um, does not have his unrighteousness imputed to him. Okay? I can't remember if I use this illustration. I, I don't know. I talk all the time. I don't know what I say. And so, um, you know... It's easy for me to forgive my wife when she makes mistakes, but for me to not impute her unrighteousness to her means I will never find her at fault. I'm not quite there yet. I'm not quite ready to say, sweetheart, whatever happens, you're not at fault. I'm not there yet. And yet David looks forward to the day under the new covenant when God says, not only am I going to forgive your sins, I will never hold you at fault. Some of you are like, hold on, you got to balance it out. But what about this? And what about this? Yeah, he... he he trains you like a child to walk in a straighter path, but he doesn't discipline you with sickness and disease and poverty. And those are the curses of the law. He doesn't put any of it on you. He, says, he, says, um, he said to the disciples in John 15, you're already clean, you're already pruned because of the word I've spoken to you. He disciplines you with his words. I love how Proverbs puts it. It says he guides you with his eye, and it's not the evil eye. You know, some parents can just shoot that look to their kids. It's more as when my kids look in my eye, and to see how their behavior is affecting me, they adjust their behavior to maintain that intimacy. That's new covenant discipline. Oh, blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven, and God does not impute his unrighteousness to him. Guys, you are those men and women. Not only your sins are forgiven, God never finds you at fault. 
He doesn't, I love the last clause of the new covenant. He remembers your sins and lawless deeds no more. For God to remember your sins, he'd have to forget about what his son did. He remembered your sins on the, son of, on the body of his son. Just like under the old covenant, he would look at that sacrifice and remember his son. And so he could pour out blessings on them. Now we've got the one sacrifice for all. And he just keeps looking at that because you are in him. He's not, he's not opening up the notebook to see you by, no, no. Ah, I see the sacrifice. So God is out to bless you. He's out to bless you. You have to know this before you can have faith for it to come into your life. That's all we have to, is faith. It's the whole deal. So the new birth is not just covering up of sin, view number one. The new birth is not just adding to me a new nature, view number two. The new birth is bringing into being someone who was not yet before but now is. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. A new race of being that's never existed before. The word new there, it's more than just like updated model. It's like a completely, it's like going from butterfly to an eagle. No, it's like going from an amoeba to an eagle. It's like, whew, like those are different things. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. Well, thank goodness, it's not up to us. I'm going to say it again. There's a mystical reality that happens when we are born again that plunges us into all that Christ has done and all that Christ is instantaneously and irreversibly. That's your identity. You are the pen and the notebook. You are in Christ. Everything that he did, you are now a part of, and you get rewarded as if you did it. And everything that happens to you happens with the Christ in you when you recognize your weakness, then he's able to be strong. You're not trying to be like him as if he's this great example in history for me to now, in my willpower, try and follow. While I'm back here in my old nature, trying to be what I'm really not. I'm really bad, but I'm trying to be like Jesus. WWJD is some of the worst theology you'll ever have. I know it's a cool bracelet, gang. It's terrible theology. You get in a situation and you ask yourself, what would Jesus do? And out of your willpower, you try to follow it. That's not how Jesus did it. Jesus said, make the tree right and the fruit will be right. He's actually changed you on the inside. Guys, this is how it works in the new covenant. He says, I will write my law in your heart and move you to follow my decrees. Under the new covenant, as you're following the flow of the Holy Spirit, I love how uh, Matthew 11 puts it in uh, the message, the unforced rhythms of grace. There's no law that says, um, uh, you know, you have to pray. Thou shalt pray, 15 minutes, you know. There's none of that. But as you're with the Holy Spirit, sometimes you're moving. I want to pray. You know, I think I need to call this person. You know, I see that person where there's being highlighted. I think, I think the Lord has something encouraging. What's happening? You're going to accomplish everything the law was after without any reference to the law. Because he's writing his law on your hearts. But the whole key to that happening, the, so the way that the, the grammar is structured, just, you know, uh, the whole thing hangs on the final clause of the new covenant, that he remembers our sins and lawless deeds no more. When we understand that, to that degree, he's able to write his law in our hearts and move us to follow our decree. But when we don't understand that, we're under law and we're not under grace and we can't receive the flow. Guys, law and grace, like, law was a good thing because they didn't even know what sin was. They didn't know they were acting like a bunch of idiots. So he brought the law to say, hey, you guys, uh, you know, this is not going to go well for you. You know, so law, law was a good thing. But I want you to see the difference. So... 
Israel gets delivered out of Egypt. Complain, complain, complain. Oh, did you bring us out here to die? What does God do? Performs a miracle and opens up the Red Sea. And then they're like, oh my gosh, are, you know, are we going to starve out here? Oh, more miracles for you. Here's some bread. Here, complain, complain, complain. Complain some more. Oh no, we don't have any water to drink. Oh, how about another miracle here for you? They're complaining and receiving miracles. Why? Because there was no law yet. They were just under grace. What happens? The moment they said, um, we're not going to go up to the mountain. We'll just do whatever you tell us to do. Give us a law. They complain. Severe consequence. Earth swallowing them up. People are dying. Are you guys seeing like how different these things are? And to the degree that we recognize, I'm not under that heavy yoke. I'm under a shower of blessing. He's, you know, just like in the Old Testament, he saw those, uh, those sacrifices and he reminded of his son. I am in his son. And he looks at his son and he says, I'm just going to bless him. I'm just going to bless him. And when they do wrong, he's like, I'm, I'm going to correct them over here. I'm going to help them to get what's missing from their experience. It says that he convinced it. Oh, this is strange. It says the Holy Spirit will convict the, uh, uh, he said, of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He said sin because they don't believe. Righteousness because I go to the Father. He says he's convicting the world of sin. He's convincing you of your righteousness. Guys, sin's not a problem for the believer. Self-righteousness is. Sin's been paid for once and for all. God's not like, oh, I'm storing up my fierce wrath, and as soon as they get their act together, you're in his son, the safest place you could ever be, so he could always do what was in his heart for you. But self-righteousness, grace can't flow into that. The, the flow of the Holy Spirit can't move in that. His supernatural can't flow in that when you're in self-righteousness. It doesn't mean you're not saved. It just means it's going to feel like you're under the old covenant again. Guys, if you are putting confidence in 1% of your effort, you're going to focus on that 1%. It's a complete abandonment, Jesus. What you did was enough. You're not going to prosper because you're a genius businessman or a, a, you know, a wonderful female entrepreneur. You're going to prosper because of what God, because God wants to bless you. Now, he may give you great ideas, and I believe in wisdom. He said he blessed the work of your hand, not your butt on the couch. So I'm not talking about sitting there and just waiting for checks to come in the mail. But the, sor the source of your blessing is God. The cause of your blessing is you. Your blessing, I'm just going to get into this here since I got the mic. Your blessing is determined each one according to their ability. You want to be able to steward more of God's blessing? Increase your ability to handle it. And then what they, they stewarded what they did and what their hand. That's basically a new covenant, how wealth is attracted, not pursued. But that's another one. One last question here. You guys, you guys have one more question. If I'm dead to sin, why do I still sin? Uh, we'll just deal with that one next week. Just kidding. <laughs> one of the reasons why people who have truly been born again still live in sin is because they don't know what happened to them. Don't you know? Don't you know? And so it says in Galatians 6, sin is no longer a problem for the Christian. It's a result of the problem. You forgot who you were. In order for a Christian to sin, they have to be deceived just like Adam and Eve. What was the deception in the garden? I can be like God without God. What's the deception for us? Is I can do this in my own strength. And he's trying to convince you the sin of unbelief. He's, he's convicting you of that. 
Sin's no longer a problem for the Christian. It's a result of the problem. The problem is you forgot who you were. You're dead to sin. You have to know this. That's why Paul says, don't you know? Don't you know? When you were born again, the Holy Spirit and your spirit became one spirit. That's 1 Corinthians 6, 16. In that recreated righteous spirit, you no longer have a sin nature that's driving you towards sin. So you were born with a sin nature. You had a propensity to be selfish. What's a two-year-old's uh, first words? No. Followed by mine. And we used to joke all the time when the kids would like throw a tantrum and everywhere, you know. And so anytime we, you know, they're pretty great in the house. And as soon as we leave the house, like at a restaurant or like the toy store, it just, this, how many of you guys recognize sin nature in a two-year-old? You, like it doesn't take a whole lot. You're like, no, not my perfect one. What is it? It is this propensity for life to be all about them. That's the sin nature. It's driven. It's all about me. And this person hurt my feelings. And so now I'm going to make it all about me. And they didn't say hi to me. And it's all about me. And it's just, it, it, that's the sin, self-cursed life. But here's the thing is, um, so we have this sin nature, but your sin nature is not the only thing affecting your heart. Remember, all of your behavior flows out of your heart. You have, you have a mind that's been taught and trained to act a certain way. So here you have this sin nature that's driving you towards selfishness, but then every commercial, every, you're around a whole bunch of other people who have sin natures too, and they're reinforcing this behavior. So now you're developing patterns and ways of thinking that are consistent with that sin nature. Your natural mind's like a computer, and it only does what it's been programmed to do. So once you're in Christ, you've been freed from sin. Okay, So he didn't just give you a pretty screensaver and ignore all the viruses and spyware on your hard drive. He wiped out the whole hard drive and gave you a new operating system. But you may not see the effectiveness of that operating system if you're still running new old programs. Am I losing you in the computer analogy? Because I think I just said more than I actually understand. <laughs> You've been made new, but your programming has not been made new. That comes through the renewing of the mind. So why does a saint still sin? Because they haven't reprogrammed their mind. They still have the citizenship thinking of the old country, even though they've been brought into a new country where God's not dealing with you based on your performance. Your sins and lawless deeds are remembered no more. There's an interesting passage in um, 1 Peter. It says, add to your qualities this, and it kind of looks like an intimidating list, um, you know, virtue and steadfastness and patience, and he gives this whole list. It's like, oh my gosh, I got to do all these things. Are you ready for this? For the person who lacks in these qualities has forgotten that their sins are forgiven. Your natural mind is going to function the way it was programmed until it's reprogrammed. You can have the life of God in your born-again spirit and be a totally brand new being in your spirit, but still experience a bent towards sin because your mind is just following the prior programming. I remember uh, when I was little, I was in Cub Scouts, and one of the things to get a merit badge we had to do was be able to tie a tie, a necktie. And I remember I just struggled with it. I've never been really good with my hands. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm looking, especially diagrams. Mary knows when it comes to putting together furniture, if there was an old nature, it would show up in those environments. Okay? <laughs> There's an old programming that comes out that looks like the old bee. I just, hey, I get so intimidated. I don't understand the pictures. And so which works out great for me because, I mean, she gets to do everything. So maybe it's just an act. Who knows? So anyway, and so I, I, these diagrams just weren't making sense. I'm not able to tie the tie. And uh, so then my dad came in, and I'm watching him do it. And I still wasn't doing it because it's like the mirror image. And then he's standing behind me and trying to do it. I just, I really wrestled with it. But, you know, after a while, um, through some 
uh, repetition. My brain got programmed so it's easy. So I did a wedding yesterday. <laughs> I was having a conversation with my wife, not even looking in the mirror, tying the tie. Thank you. My self-esteem was a little low. I needed that. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. In the same way, we used to have these lusts and habits and, and desire for things and all these things, and um, we weren't very good. When we got into the new country, we weren't very good at living out this new kind of life. But as we see, guys, faith works by love, which means the more that you recognize how much he loves you and how forgiven you are, faith just flows. One of the reasons, I mean, I mean, why healing flows so easily at this church is we have an awareness of the goodness of God. I mean, it hasn't been like any like mighty preaching. I'm not sure if you guys realize it's the same four messages every week for 10 years. Unconditional love of God, finished work of Christ, power of the Holy Spirit, identity of the believer. It's the same four messages. But I do use different scriptures just to, just, just to keep it exciting. Faith works by love. The more we see how much he loves us, the easier it is to believe. There used to be a nature on the inside of us driving us to do these things, and we acquired bad habits. But now that we're in Christ, we don't have that nature anymore, but we need to reprogram our minds, which will be the topic of next week when he says, consider yourselves dead to sin. We're going to look at what that means. Close with this illustration. Back in the 1800s, President Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation that freed all the slaves in the United States. I want you to see this. They were freed, but they were not free. There are documented cases of a number of African Americans who did not hear about the Emancipation Proclamations. Some of the slave owners just simply didn't tell them. So back in those days, they didn't have access to mass media and communication the way we do today. And some of the people, it, it took slaves years to hear through the grapevine that they'd been free. They were freed, but they weren't free because they didn't know something. They could have been free, but it was dependent upon them knowing the truth and them having enough boldness to step out and test that truth by standing up against their old master and drawing on the new legal system's power and authority to back them up. Romans 6, 7, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Every born-again believer in Jesus Christ has been freed from the dominion of their old sinful nature. Here's my question. Will you learn how to walk free? It's first of all going to depend on how much you know. Here's what I want you to do with your eyes closed. I want you to, with childlike eyes of faith, say, Holy Spirit, help me to see myself in union with Jesus. I am in him. He is in me. Kind of like a vine is in a branch and a branch is in a vine. It's hard to see where one starts and the other stops. The same life that's flowing through the vine flows through the branch. It's the same life. Holy Spirit, help me to see myself united to Jesus when he was crucified. Holy Spirit, show me how you experienced it all for me. And now you are covering me completely in your love and giving it to me all as a gift. The old life is buried away. Your new life is risen in him. Holy Spirit, we love you. Thank you for Jesus.
Thank you that all things are being made new, Lord, and we know that we are new. And so, Lord, I just thank you. Just give us advanced insight in how to renew our mind to these truths, how to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to you. Hey, if there's anyone in here and uh, you're hearing this good news of Jesus, that he loves you not based on your performance, he loves you based on what his dear son did, and that he, all the obstacles to his heart have been removed, so he can just give you life and peace and goodness. And you're like, Jim, that sounds too good to be true. That's actually how they described it 200 years ago. The almost too good to be true news. The good, glad, merry news that makes a man want to dance and leap and spin for joy. So if you're here, the, the news is something that's already happened. It's not something you have to now do. So the good news is everything that you need to have a life in Christ and Christ in you has already been done for you. 2,000 years ago on a cross. And your only response is to say, thank you. I receive that. Faith is not just believing that he did it, but I'm abandoning myself to this God who has abandoned himself in me. The gospel in two words is trust Jesus. I'm not just trusting him for heaven when I die. Of course you're going to do heaven when you die. But I'm trusting him with my family and my decisions and my work and my health and my finances. Jesus, I want as much of you in every area of my life as possible. If you're here today and you're like, hey, I want to trust Jesus. I haven't done that before. Or maybe... Maybe you grew up in a legalistic church where it was all about doing. You're not sure where you stand. Or maybe you just walked away and you're like, I need to trust Jesus again. I'm just going to ask you to do something bold, to raise your hand right where you're sitting. And so I know people are looking around, but Jesus said, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. And so is there anyone in here, you do not know Jesus, but you'd, uh, you'd like to trust him today. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. We're going to pray for you. Anybody in here? All right, if you did not raise your hand, our ministry teams would be happy to pray with you. And uh, I know a lot of times it's like proposing on the first date, and so if it's new to you, so just keep coming around, getting to know this Jesus, and uh, I, I think you, you, you won't be able to help yourself. Let's stand for closing prayer. Was that good news today? <laughs> I don't know who did that, but I like you. Was that, was that Judah? Yeah, it sounded like a Judah. All right. Just put your hand in your heart. Holy Spirit, give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. Help me to see the wonders of Jesus more clearly. <laughs> you have done it all. Help us to learn what rest looks like. When man rests, God works. When man works, God rests. I'm not talking about being lazy. I'm talking about a position of my heart where I'm completely trusting on him to make the good stuff happen. And then when he gives you a wisdom or an idea, act on it with obedience. That's called the obedience of faith. Lord, I bless your people to be the most dangerous people in Columbus, Ohio. I thank you that they will heal the sick, raise the dead, give away millions of dollars, be leaders of men and women, and be best friends with Jesus. I thank you that their children will never know a day apart from you. They'll know nothing but the goodness of God and never walk a day of rebellion. Lord, I thank you that their businesses are prospering, their marriages are prospering. Lord, that people are finding spouses that are godly and better than they ever thought. I decree and I declare. And thank you that we get to do all this with Jesus.